Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we wrap up our sermon series on forgiveness. This series has been super challenging for me. I hope it's been challenging or at least helpful for you because I think this brings up for all of us things we need to work through when it comes to forgiveness. And today we're going to deal with perhaps the most challenging thing of all when it comes to forgiveness That is dealing with ourselves. And out of all the sermons I've talked about so far, and if you've been here for them, we've talked about some heavy things, I was least looking forward to this sermon. This is the challenging one for me to talk about. Uh, Because remember, the first week we talked about the importance of forgiveness, and and we shared some stories and talked about why we need to forgive and things that we all have to work through. The second week we talked about our foundation of forgiveness being Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Last week we talked about forgiving with understanding that God's going to use whatever we've been through for his good, even though it doesn't always feel like it, even though it doesn't always seem like like it. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, and he'll use that as a positive way. But this week, we're talking about how to deal with ourselves when we've done something wrong, when we've wronged other people. How do we go about forgiving ourselves when what we've done is, well, perhaps terrible, and perhaps it didn't seem like a big deal to you, but it was a big deal to somebody else? So how do we deal with with experiencing this forgiveness from God? And I just want to encourage you to, to think through this, because even if you don't think what you did was that big of a deal, we know it can be very big deal to other people. And we can't discount that, the trauma or the hurt or the pain or whatever it may be. We hate me have caused to other people. And I don't um, claim to have all the answers on this one at all. I'm quite aware that I can't speak to all things about this topic, but I can share with you some things I've had to work through and do in this area of forgiveness. Because what I'm going to ask you to do this morning may seem completely impossible. It may be something you have absolutely no interest in doing, and I completely understand But I ask you to follow the Spirit's leading this. This is one area I do ask you to really rely upon the Spirit, what He's doing in your life, what He's going to prompt in your life. And even if it seems completely impossible, I ask you to pray through that and work through that and don't ignore what God is going to say to you this morning because there are some things He wants to bring to light. There's some things He wants you to deal with and perhaps you've tried to put it behind you, you've tried to ignore it, you've tried to just walk away from it but Jesus isn't done with it yet. And we first see this in the story in the life of Peter. You see, Peter was one of the leading disciples in the life of Jesus. He was one of the 12, one of the closest to him. And I personally resonate with Peter because he's outspoken and he speaks way before he's ever thought of even thinking, like way before even thinking about thinking, he's already act and done something. And I believe, because I know myself, I believe Peter always meant well, 
But it doesn't always end well for Peter. At one point, Jesus calls him Satan and tells him to get behind him because of the things he's saying. And you're like, that's a big deal. I know. But other times he walks on water. Like there's some good and some bad. It's a double-edged sword when it comes to Peter. He experienced things that none of the other disciples did, both in the manner of being rebuked and the matter of seeing some pretty cool miracles. But when Jesus was telling his disciples that the events would transpire uh, coming up, that he would die, he would be persecuted, he would be arrested by the officials, and he told his disciples that you guys are going to abandon me, Peter was like, nope, not me, Jesus. Here's what he says. Peter, Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I'm better than all them, Jesus. Even if everyone else deserts you, I never will, Jesus Jesus replied. I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even knew me, that you know me. No, Peter declared emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the others vowed the same following. I mean, if someone says something like that, of course, you're going to be like, yeah, me too. I mean, that's pretty amazing what Peter said. Me too. I won't either. And I believe that Peter believed this. I believe Peter meant this statement with absolutely everything he has. I don't think he's lying. I don't think he's trying to be somebody he's not. I believe Peter really believes there's nothing, nothing that will separate him or cause him to to disown Jesus. And from all biblical accounts, if there's one person who's going to pull this off, it's going to be Peter. But Jesus Jesus tells him, he says, Peter, tells him in advance, you're going to. This is going to happen, which needs to remind us a very, very important biblical truth, folks. Jesus already knows the depths of our wickedness far before we do. He already knows what we're capable of. He already knows what we're capable of. In fact, he already knows what we're going to do before we do it. But yet, but yet he still called Peter. He still chose Peter and he loved Peter. Peter, which means what's important for us to understand is while you may not believe what you did, that thing that you've never brought up, that thing you keep in the back of your mind, while you may not believe it, Jesus already knew it. And he still loves you. And he's willing to work through it with you. You see, Peter hadn't come to grips with the sinfulness. And many of us haven't come to grips with our sinfulness until we have. And then it's kind of too late, we feel like, in that moment. But you see, pride is a terrible thing. Pride tells us that we would never, we could never. Pride is something every single one of us needs to deal with and be aware of it and understand it can have a tragic effect on all of us. You see, Peter, excuse me, pride told Peter that he's got it, that he would never do this thing. Pride told Peter that he was strong enough. In fact, Jesus says, Peter, when we leave here, I need you to go pray and get ready because they're coming. And what does Peter do instead? He sleeps. He's tired. And we've all been there. Instead of praying, we sleep. You ever done that? You're so exhausted. You're so wore out. You're so stressed out. You're like, what I need is a good night rest. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I need you to come talk to me. We're like, no, but I'm tired. When I need to sleep, Jesus, I know me better than you know me. Pride tells Peter he's got this. And I believe Peter believed it. But pride caused Peter not to believe Jesus. It not only caused Peter to turn his back on Jesus, it caused him to disbelieve that Jesus even knew what he was talking about. 
And when it comes to pride in the areas of sin, we all need to be aware of the, the, the temptations here. Because all of us, at some point, if you're a Christian, you believe this verse, Romans 3.23. It says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We believe this at least a little bit, or you can't be a Christian. But then pride tells us, check this out, pride says, well, I might be a sinner, but I'm not as bad as that guy. Right? We justify it. I mean, I'm, I may have done some things wrong, but it's not like those other people, so I just need a little bit of Jesus. I don't need as much as those other people do. But we have to realize this idea of everyone being a sinner, all of us fall short, means all of us are capable and able of doing things we are completely not proud about. All of us are broken. All of us can do far more wickedness than we can possibly imagine. See, pride tells us we're better than others. Pride tells Peter that Jesus is wrong. Pride tells David that Bathsheba is really his. He's the king. Pride can turn the most faithful upside down and inside out if you're not mindful of what it does. And so as Jesus said, he was arrested And when the soldiers came to get Jesus, remember Peter saying he's willing to die for Jesus. He's not lying. Peter pulled out his sword ready to fight for Jesus, but he found out what we all find out. It's easier to die once for Jesus than it is to live an entire life for him. That's difficult. And so Jesus is arrested. He goes off. Peter follows from a distance, ends up going into town with everybody else. They light a fire because there's a lot going on. People crowd around this campfire to get, to get warmth while Jesus is being interrogated and all of that kind of stuff. Several, several different people recognize Peter, one of which a middle school girl, and they say, hey, you're one of his followers. You're with him. And Peter, of course, denies. He disowns Jesus three times. He swears a curse on his own life if he is lying about knowing Jesus. Peter was ready to die in a moment, but when it came to this other event, when it came to the masses and people around, he rejected even knowing them. And Peter, of course, heard the rooster cry, left broken and weeping. You see, that's the thing about sin. Oftentimes, we don't see it coming. We aren't ready for it, even though he was warned about it. In the moment with the fear and the excitement and everything happening, he just was like, hey, I don't know this man. You see, originally he said, if everyone else does, I never will. He thought he was better than people. And let's be honest, come on. You thought you were better than other people. You weren't in the same situation. You didn't have the same upbringing. You didn't experience the same life. But somehow you thought you were better than other people. And so did Peter. And now for many of us, when we look at the story of Peter, we're like, yeah, but Brian, he just denied Jesus. It's not that big of a deal, is it? Well, see, it's not like other sins, we think. And and we have to remember, don't forget what's happening in this moment. Jesus has been arrested. Peter could stand up for Jesus in front of everybody else. When all these other people are saying false testimonies about Jesus, telling false witness and saying he did all this stuff, Peter could have stood before them and said, hey, Jesus didn't do any of this. I'm going to go on record and say Jesus didn't do any of this. In fact, I'm going to get a whole bunch of other people, and we're going to go on record. We're going to stop this injustice from happening. Like We're going to get involved. We could stand up for Jesus in this moment. 
Perhaps Peter could have testified for him. Perhaps, I mean, think about this. Perhaps Peter could have been the key for Jesus not to be tortured, not to be beaten, and not to be hung on a cross if all he did was speak up and he already said he would. Now imagine watching your best friend, who you know is innocent, being beaten, being hung on a cross, dying of suffocation in that hot sun, and you know the truth, and you know that he knows you know the truth. And in that moment, when you don't understand the resurrection yet, you're sitting there watching the man you could have spoke up for. You could have got off. Denying Jesus wasn't a big deal, folks. It's a very big deal. It was a very big deal. You could have helped him in his time of need. But he didn't. And Jesus died. But we know that wasn't the end of the story. He rose from that grave three days later. And it's not the end of the story for Peter either. You see, after the resurrection, Jesus was seen for 40 days speaking and doing things. We don't know exactly what he was doing. We know he, exact, he at least did one thing. He was on the earth for 40 days, and he went back to his disciples. See, in that time, Peter, Jesus showed up 40 days before he ascended back. He, he showed up here and there, and one day in particular, although Jesus said that he was sending his disciples out, he says, as I, am sent, I was sent, I'm sending you out. Nobody knew what that meant. They hadn't figured out what was going on, and so Peter had a great idea, probably like some of you have. He said, hey, let's go fishing. Y'all ever decided to go fishing one day? I did not that long ago till my son caught this really big catfish, and I didn't know how to get it off the hook. Embarrassing dad moment. I was like, I'm not going catfishing. I'm not going fishing anymore. I don't know how to do this. I need, I need someone else to come take this off. So that's what Peter does. Peter tells the boys, he's like, hey, let's go fishing. And they go fishing with him. They go out and they catch absolutely nothing. They fished all night and then morning comes and some guy on the shores look at him and say, hey, throw, throw it to the other side. And this wasn't uncommon because he can see things. The person from the shore can see things that the people in the boat can't see. So he says, throw it over. They're like, okay, great. So they throw the net over. Might as well. About to leave anyways. And they pull in this massive haul of fish. And turns out, Peter recognized something in this moment. Look what happens. John 21. It says, then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped down for work. He jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed on the boat and pulled the loaded net to the shore, for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over charcoal fire and some bread. So you got to love Peter. He was so excited to see Jesus. He jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. He said, I thought we were going fishing, but I'd rather have Jesus. He left everybody else dealing with this net full of fish. He's like, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Ran, swam to shore. And notice that this is Jesus coming to where Peter's at. He knows what he needs, even though Peter doesn't know what he needs. A fire is prepared. The fish are cooking. They ate bread. They ate fish. It seemed all well until Jesus needed to meet his need right here. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. 
You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. Remember before when Jesus tried to tell him what was going to happen? He's like, it's not going to happen to me, Jesus. Peter had to come to the end of himself. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said, then feed my sheep. You see the smell of fire, just like the fire that was around when he denied Jesus. The fire was going. Peter knew what was happening. He was being confronted with the denial not too long ago. And Jesus says, you deny me three times. So he asked him three times, hey, do you love me, Peter? Are you sure? In that moment, Peter is confronted with his betrayal. He's confronted with his pride. He has to look the person in his eyes that he disbelieved, that he denied, that he left hanging on a bloody cross all alone. Peter is confronted with all of that pridefulness, folks with his sin, and he gets forgiven in this moment and is restored to his original calling as an apostle. You see, God is in the business of redeeming situations, but Peter had to deal with this. He had to be confronted. He just figured, I'll go fishing. What else am I supposed to do? Does God still want to use me because of what I did? And in that moment, he realized God wasn't done with him, and he's not done with you either. You see, Jesus met Peter where he was at in order for him to experience, experience the forgiveness of Christ. You see, forgiveness is always found at the cross. Jesus has died for your sins. Jesus has died for my sins well before we've ever done it. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Like as a matter of fact with God, if we confess, if we repent, if we say, God, here's what I have done, we will be forgiven. All we have to do is accept his gift of forgiveness. He's already done it. We don't work for it. We accept it and experience it because of what he's done. But oftentimes, folks, it doesn't end there. And that's where we want it to end, but it can't. Oftentimes, we must take responsibility for what we have done and make amends with the person we've wronged. And I don't know how that works for everyone, but I know there are things that you've done that God has not let off your mind. I know there are things you are hiding that God won't let you let go of. There are things that plague you and you don't know what to do with it because shame is heavy. Guilt is heavy. Those burdens are heavy. And we must deal with and do with what God is asking us to do. And it is not fun. What I have found is there's two things that stop us. And again, there could be so many more. I'm just telling you from my experience, there are two things that stop us from truly experiencing because we've already been forgiven. But if we can't forgive ourselves, we haven't experienced forgiveness yet. There are two things that stop us from being able to do that. And that's pride and confession. Pride and confession. Although Peter was forgiven, he didn't experience it until he dealt with it, looked face to face, because Peter couldn't believe he had done it. He didn't think he could do it, and he had to come to the end of himself and just downright own, I did it, and I was capable of it. 
And pride will stop you and it will justify absolutely everything you've ever done to make it seem like it's not that big of a deal. You want to know how I know? Because I've done it. What I'm about to share with you next, I have absolutely no interest in sharing with you. But we'll follow the Lord's leading. When I was 18 years old, I had moved out with my friends and we rented a house and I was an assistant manager at the company I worked for. And one of my duties as an assistant manager was to take nightly deposits to the bank. Oftentimes we wouldn't go right away because things happened or we forgot or whatever that looked like and it was never that big of a deal because we would take them the next day. One day in particular, I ended up forgetting to go to the bank, but the deposit was small because we were closed for most of the day. I ended up forgetting about it. No big deal. Move on. A few days later, I ended up calling out a sick because it was a holiday, not because I was sick, by the way, because it was my favorite holiday and I didn't want to go to work. Well, the owner said, don't come back. See, I wasn't sick, but he didn't know that. But we didn't have sick time. We didn't have days off. We had nothing like that. So you missed one day at work. You were just fired. And that happened. I was jobless. But guess what 18-year-old Brian still had under the seat of his car that he had forgotten about? A deposit. And I was 18 years old. And so I figured, this must be a sign from God. He is blessing me in this very moment. My boss, you laugh, but I couldn't be more serious. This is a blessing. This man is being unjust. He fired me because I called out. It doesn't matter that I wasn't sick, folks. He didn't know that. He fired me for an unjust reason, and this is my reward. This is injustice unfolding, like I'm getting back. So I didn't do anything. I sat on it. I didn't run from temptation. I didn't deposit it. I just sat on it. I ended up filing for unemployment, and I found out a week later that I'd been denied. The owner ended up lying and saying, look, I'm about to tell you a whole bunch of stuff I did. I'm just telling you this wasn't true what he said, okay? I'm about to, lie. I'm about to tell you a whole bunch of other junk. But what he said wasn't true. How he painted me and things he said wasn't true. And so then I knew after he lied about it and I got denied unemployment, didn't have anywhere to go, didn't have any family to talk to. I'm on my own at 18 years old. I don't know if you've ever been in that. It's a hard place to be. I knew for a fact this deposit was a true blessing in my way of getting back for the injustice unfolding before me. And in my mind, if he's going to take this unemployment from me, then two can play. Because if somebody wrongs you, you're allowed to wrong them, right? I mean, you're allowed to be mad and have retribution if somebody hurts you, right? Before you judge me, think about your life. And I cannot tell you, and this is very important, this, this, for me, this helps me understand sin more than anything else in my life. Because I cannot tell you how much I justified this and how right it sounded to me. It sounded so right. It sounded like a blessing from God. None of it was premeditated. It just happened. Opportunities presented itself and I was blinded. So I kept it. It wasn't but a few years later that God radically transformed my life, and I cannot tell you how faith works exactly, but I can tell you that I knew Jesus at a very young age, around 18, 20 years old, through those couple of years. He started working on my life in ways I cannot explain to you, where I just completely and utterly surrendered to his leading. 
And so life just continued to unfold. I accomplished a lot. I went to school. I did the military thing. That boss even tried to get me to come back work for him. So I figured if he wanted me to come back to work for him, then he knew all that stuff he said about me wasn't true. That means he knew he was lying. That means I was even more justified in getting what I was owed. Come on, y'all have never done something like that? You laugh because you have. And I just knew that I was right. And I knew that I was trustworthy. I'd been entrusted later with far more finances, far more business dealings, and I never once thought about taking anything because here's the important thing to understand. I wasn't a thief. I'd never stole. I was owed because of what he'd done. So how can you steal if you were owed? Is it possible to steal if you're owed? No, you're just taking what's yours. And so I was justified. I'd proven my integrity. I'd proven my honesty. It was a blessing after all. And so the story went and went and went. And no matter how much I wanted to, I could never shake it. God wasn't done with me yet. And boy, I could tell you, when you know a little bit of theology, you can do some gymnastics, folks. I said, well, Satan's the accuser, so he just must be accusing me to do the right thing. It's just Satan. Did you catch that? And see, folks, that's how you know if it's Satan or if it's the Holy Spirit. You see, Satan accusing you points you towards bondage and hiding. The Holy Spirit convicting you points you to bringing things to the light and dealing with them. Satan's not going to lead you to go do the right thing, I promise. And so I had to work through this. You see, I'd never truly felt forgiven because I wasn't honest. My pride had built a castle and I was the captive. But no matter how much I tried, it lingered. And the truth was, it's so hard. I was a thief. And that is so hard to say, but it was the truth. And the truth was, I hadn't forgiven him for what he had done. I was holding resentment to justify my actions. And I cannot tell you, and I'm telling you, I need you to work through this in your life. I cannot tell you how long I ignored that truth. I said it can't be because that's not who I am. But it was at that time. I was so busy justifying. I stopped admitting what I had done to God him or myself. And what's so painfully obvious now was not obvious in that moment, in that time, because I built, again, walls up. So that's not me. And so I had to deal with it. I remember calling Jessica and telling her, I said, listen, I got to go. I had to go deal with this. I got to go confess to my old boss and I got to pay him back. I can't handle this any longer. She said, okay, she understood, but here's what we were both facing. I had a family. I was the main source of income. I was about to go to my old boss, who was a lawyer, and confess to what I had done all those many years ago. I knew what I could be facing, and we both dealt with it. Me and my wife, I told her, I said, it doesn't matter. I have to go. And so I called him. I met him where he worked. I handed him an envelope full of cash with interest. I did the calculations, and I said, I owe you this. He said, why? I didn't want to say. I just figured I could pay him back, right? But I admitted it. 
I told him what I had done over a decade before and how I had to make it right. I wish I could tell you everything that was said, but honestly, my adrenaline, my fear, and all of that other stuff was in full effect. I don't remember everything, but I do remember this because I was so scared. I remember telling him, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And I knew I had to make this right no matter the cost. I didn't justify it. I didn't act like it wasn't a big deal. I didn't point to anything I thought that he did wrong. I just owned what I had done. Folks, it took me so long to understand that no matter what somebody else has done, it never justifies your sin. You are a grown-up. You are responsible for your actions. Nobody can make you do anything. And so I didn't. I just owned it. Here's what I did and told him. So I confessed. He did accept the money, and he forgave. We were both very different people now, and all I know is he was an atheist, and that at least led him reading to a book by Tim Keller called The Reasons for God. Evidently, he thought it was a pretty big moment. I wish he could have had it a different way, but that's what God did in my life. I have no idea how else he used it, but I had to fully own my pride, make amends for with what, who I've wronged, to truly experience forgiveness because now it's just a story in my life. The most embarrassing story that I've never told anyone outside of my wife and three people before I was getting ready for the sermon. Because it's difficult. It's horrible to admit what you've done. I'm not proud of it. But when I'm encouraging you to go make amends and go own what you've done, I've had to do it. It's not easy. It perhaps could be one of the most difficult things you've ever done to date. That is for me. But if Jesus isn't done with you, and he's not done with your situation, that may be the very thing that you need to go deal with. Because there are times, like for Peter and like myself, where you just got to go do what he's asking you to do and trust him with that. Own your sin, confess your sin, and make amends where necessary. For me, that was a path to forgiving myself because first I admit to myself what I had done. And so my question for you this morning is who do you need to make amends with? Who do you need to apologize to to just flat out admit you were wrong and you need forgiveness? If you were to quit justifying your actions and pretending it's all their fault, if you were to just own your part in the story, who does God have on your heart to confess to, to make amends with, to experience forgiveness and allow God to do a good work in your life? Because could it be the reason why you haven't experienced forgiveness is because you aren't being honest? You're still justifying. You're still trying to see if you can get away with it. Folks, I got away with it but not with God. He wouldn't let me. And I thank him for what he did in my life, and I hope you can experience the same thing. You see, the reason I couldn't forgive myself is because I hadn't followed through on what God asked me to do. And you're like, yeah, but Brian, you don't understand. Oh, but I do. Own your sin. Make amends where you need to. And just stop justifying it. 
Stop building the walls up. Allow God's spirit to do a good work in your life, and you have to trust him with that. This is where faith comes in. This is where the hard stuff comes in. Take responsibility for it. Don't justify, don't blame, but own it. You see, making amends is such a big deal. That's even part of the 12-step program. I've never had addiction problems, and so I've, I've, I've never been in this. I haven't been a part of recovery, but I've just heard the good work it has done in people's lives. But here's what they say. They say, make a direct amend, make a direct amends to such people whenever is possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Now, I have experienced this, but these helpful steps I know have transformed people's lives, and I just want to throw it out there for you. Perhaps this is something you need to work through. If you need to make amends with somebody, just Google Step 9 on the recovery program. It can help you work through this. They give you some interesting and helpful advice because there are times, folks, and this is important, so don't tune me out yet while you're thinking about what you got to do. There are times when you shouldn't go to somebody. For instance, Charles Stanley tells a story of when a young man at his church went and confessed his sin to a lady on staff at the church. He went and confessed to her that he had been lusting after her. She did not know about it, nor did anybody else know about it. And all it did was create a very awkward situation for everybody involved. There are some things you need to confess to the Lord and not to others. There are some things you do need to go to others, and you have to work through all of that. But AA advises us not to make amends. Just want to throw this out there. It says, when you've caused physical harm to the person and they're afraid of you, this should go without saying, but if not, this is important. If you've done something harmful, sometimes you just can't go to people. Perhaps you need to go to the authorities or whatever you need to do, work through that. The individual has been traumatized by your addiction or your actions. Sometimes you've caused so much more pain, going back to the person will cause even more pain. If that's you, you just have to own that. Maybe you can't. Or instances of any type of abuse. Instances which your actions destroyed your marriage, such as having an affair. Now, the idea here is if you and your spouse or you and your former spouse are divorced, you're not around each other, it's already over. Going back isn't going to be helpful. It's already over. This isn't saying if you got something you're working through now and you don't need to own it. That's a different thing. This is if you, your marriage is gone. It's over. Going back would just cause more harm. You're, you're not rekindling anything. And then lastly, it's instances in which somebody tells you they don't want to see you. In other words, you don't make amends to hurt somebody else just so you feel better. You have to work through that. For me, God wanted me to make right what I had wronged. I wasn't hurt anybody. I was freeing myself and throwing myself at the mercy of somebody else. And so for you, maybe you absolutely know what you need to do. You are flat out guilty. And you're pretending you're not. You're hiding or allowing other sources to cover up what you've been through. And I'm here to tell you that perhaps God is asking you to just own it. To deal with it. And to let him start doing a good work in your life. Because what Jesus has done is enough to forgive you for your sins. But if you're not experiencing his forgiveness, there's a good chance that pride is stopping you. Or confession is stopping you. Jesus is powerful enough to forgive you. You just have to do some work. And it may take you some time to come to the grips with the reality of your brokenness. It may take you time to be honest about what you did, that it really was you and it really is nobody else's fault. And you really were capable of that. Because the truth is we all have a past. Some of ours worse than others. Others. 
But that's the beauty of the gospel, folks. God can redeem and restore any of us. You see, we look at the Bible and we see every character in the Bible outside of Jesus seems to have done horrific things. But what we forget is that's our story too. So have we. No one's wrote about it yet, though. God can redeem it. God can restore it. God can still do work through it because as far as I know, nobody's, nobody, nobody has been told that I know of from Jesus that you're not going to be a part of my mission and what I'm doing in this world. God can redeem whatever situation you've been through and then you're going to be called just like everybody else to make immature disciples of Jesus. God's going to use your story to glorify himself, to reach others and help other people. And it's out of your brokenness you can look at people different. It's out of your brokenness you can understand that, hey, we all got our things. But Jesus Christ can redeem it in you. Do you know why I know? Because he's redeemed it in me. He is greater than. He is greater than what you've done. And so my question is, what do you need to expose? What do you need to find forgiveness in? And understand that what you've done doesn't necessarily define you. But you will be defined by it until you find forgiveness in it. And then Jesus will define you. By his work, by his redemption, he always does and always will. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning indebted to your grace. We know that you have forgiven us. But Father, at times we don't feel like it. We haven't experienced it. There are so many reasons why this might be, Lord, but one of them may be that we we need to go confess. We need to make amends. Lord, we know guilt and shame can linger, but we know your love is greater. So Father, this morning we ask you uncomfortably to probe our lives. We ask you to show us where we need to have boldness and courage. Where we need to step out on faith and make amends where we need to. Father, we understand this will be difficult. We understand this will not be easy, but we acknowledge this is where our faith comes into play. Father, we know you are greater. We know your love is greater. We know forgiveness is not something that we only need to receive but also something we need to ask for. So, Father, help us in this. Help us where we're wrong. Break down the walls of our pride. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.